Matthew chapter 6. The words are also going to be on the screen uh, behind me. Um, I'm calling this sermon Expecting the Kingdom. As we talk about, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, sometimes our experience of the kingdom of God is affected by the expectations that we have of the kingdom of God. And so if we have false expectations about the kingdom, it's going to hinder our experience as we will see. So I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. The words are going to be on the screen. But let's continue what we've been doing these last few weeks. And would you stand with me as we read out loud the Lord's Prayer together? Jesus told his disciples, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this prayer that you have given us. You have told us, ask for these things. Pray for these things. These are the things that I desire to give you. And so pray for them. And so, God, we believe your word is true, and we believe that you are true, that when you ask us to pray anything according to the name of Jesus, that it will be done for us. And so today, God, we not only pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but we ask that you would lead us to desire your kingdom, Lord, that we would know what it is that we are asking for. And so, God, would you teach us today? Would you lead us in this time that we have together today, God? And would you equip me, Lord, anoint me to be able to teach your word truthfully to your people so that you and you alone would reign in our minds and our hearts by your word, Lord. And so, God, we give you this time and ask that you would have your way, that your will would be done in this place. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, the kingdom of God is one of the largest and most profound themes in all of the Bible. You can trace this theme of the kingdom of God all the way from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. See, at the beginning of Genesis, God is depicted as a king over all of creation. He is the king who rules through his word. He declares his divine edict that something should be done, and it's done immediately. I love this picture of God in creation calling light into existence. He says, let there be light. His divine royal edict is that light should be. And in order to obey God, light has to be brought into existence from nothing. So authoritative is God's rule as king that he brings light out of darkness. It must obey It must be done because the king has declared it to be done. And in Revelation, at the very end of the Bible, you see Jesus on the throne 
after having conquered sin and Satan and death, the beast that was wreaking havoc against God's people, he sits victorious over the kingdoms of the enemy and he rules his people who are from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It can be said that the entire Bible is a story about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the primary hope of the prophets in the Old Testament. There's so much corruption, so much failure on behalf of the people and on behalf of the kings who are supposed to rule with righteousness that the prophets looked for a day when God's promise to King David through the prophet Nathan would be fulfilled in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled, God says, through Nathan to David. And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. They longed for the day when this promised king would come and rule with righteousness forever, dispel God's enemies and reign on the throne and bring peace to the nations and to Israel forever. And so it's interesting when Jesus shows up on the scene and the primary topic of Jesus' teaching is the kingdom of God. Mark summarizes Jesus' entire preaching ministry in this way. The time is fulfilled. Your waiting is over. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. Jesus shows up on the scene when everyone is longing for the kingdom, anticipating the kingdom, and he says, the wait is over. The kingdom is here. Imagine the shock. Imagine the interest that that created among the people of Israel. In fact, the kingdom was such a priority to Jesus. Preaching the good news of the kingdom was such a priority that even after he's healing and casting out demons and performing miracles and all this stuff, there's a community that comes to him and they say, don't leave us. We want you to stay. We need more of this from you. And Jesus in Luke 4, 43 says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus understands the purpose of his ministry to preach the good news of the kingdom's arrival. And here in the Lord's Prayer, he tells us that asking for the kingdom of God to come into our lives should be at the top of our priorities in our prayer lists. That we should be asking God to bring his kingdom into our lives. That rather than being distracted by all of the other things that we could ask for, rather than being distracted by all the cares of this world, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first, right? Priority, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The kingdom is front and center. The kingdom of God, front and center from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. 
It is an incredibly important topic. It is everywhere in scripture. But what is it? What is the kingdom of God? Like any kingdom, the kingdom of God is about a king ruling over a people in a particular place, in a particular domain. So King Charles was coronated earlier this year. And so King Charles and his kingdom is about his rule over those people in that place. And so the kingdom of God is about God's rule over God's people in God's place, in God's realm. So this is the kingdom of God. Okay, The kingdom of God is not about the good things that you go and do, right? The kingdom of God is, is not about what you accomplish for yourself or what you do for other people to bring good things into their life or, or any of that. The kingdom of God is about God's rule, God's authoritative rule and reign over his people. Those who submit themselves to God's rule and reign. Sometimes when we pray, God, your kingdom come, we think about all of those sinners out there who need to fall in line and obey God. But God's rule is over his people. God's kingdom is about his rule over his people. Yes, we want to see more people come under the rule and reign of God and become members of his people, citizens of his kingdom. But first, we need to be mindful of God's rule and God's reign in our hearts as God's people. So the kingdom of God is God's rule over God's people in God's realm. And this is what, uh, uh, listen to how Isaiah uh, talks about the kingdom of God. Isaiah 11, verses 2 through 9. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking of that promised king of uh, the son of David, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, meaning that he's not going to judge according to appearances, about, judge according to superficial circumstances, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. His law, his judgments will eliminate wickedness from the world. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. And here is the result of the rule of God. This is what Isaiah is saying happens when God is ruling. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy 
in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what we need. This is what the kingdom of God brings. It brings righteousness. It brings justice. It brings safety. It brings peace. It brings all of the things that we're looking for in our world today. Aren't we looking for these things? Aren't these things what we need in this life as we stare down the barrel of yet another election year with very few options? Isn't what we need King Jesus? Isn't what we need the righteous reign of our God and Savior? Isn't what we need justice and peace? These are the things that we need. These are the things that we are longing for. And if that's what you want, if you want a kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace and freedom and joy, then I've got good news for you. I have good news for us today because Jesus says in Luke 12, 32, fear not little flock. Okay, as we look at an election year, as we look at all of the drama that we're going to experience over the next, you know, 12, 14 months or whatever it is, Reality Carpinteria, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Our Father in heaven, it is his good pleasure. It's his desire to give you the kingdom. Praying for God's kingdom to come is not like twisting God's arm and trying to convince him to give us something that he doesn't want to give us. He wants to give you the kingdom. That sounds nice. Right? But when you look out at the world, why does it sometimes feel like the kingdom is so far from coming? You ever looked at what was newspaper headlines or whatever it is and be like, why, if, if God's kingdom is coming, why does it sometimes look like the world is worse than it was yesterday or a week ago or a month ago? Why does it feel like the kingdom is so far from coming? Maybe you even feel like the kingdom of God is losing ground in our world today, right? Like the heyday of the church was like the 50s and 60s, and then there was the Jesus revolution, and then like everything was awesome. We're going to wake up every morning. The world is going to be better than it was the day before, and more and more people are going to be saved, and it's just going to be rainbows and butterflies. And now, those of you who have lived through that day, look at the world now and go, that's not happening at all. Are, is God's kingdom losing ground? Is, is God's kingdom retreating? As we see people rejecting God, as we see sickness and pandemics and violence and death and poverty and human trafficking and all of these things, the fentanyl epidemic, natural disasters, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, all of these things. Like We look at the world and depending on whatever your preferred news source is, whether it's right bias or left bias or claims to be center, whatever it is, it's going to give you every day 101 reasons to be discouraged about our world. It doesn't matter. Equal opportunity discouragement for everybody. Every time you turn on the news, 
There is some reason this world is falling apart. It's always everybody else's fault. And we're all left wondering, is God's kingdom losing ground? Are God's fortresses being torn down? How is it that we pray for the kingdom of God to come and yet we don't feel like we're experiencing the kingdom in the way that we would anticipate? Well, for starters, often when we pray for God's kingdom to come into our world or into our lives or into a particular situation, what we often expect is immediate results. But what God does is plant a seed. We expect immediate results. And yet God starts with something small, something seemingly insignificant, and he just plants it there. And so sometimes we just flat out don't have the faith to believe that this seed that God plants could actually be the answer for our prayers. We see, we see it like, like uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, like the magic beans, right? It was just, this is worthless. This can't help us. God, I prayed for your kingdom to come and you give me this little, this little thing. It's a failure to hold the biblical tension between what scholars have called the already and the not yet of the kingdom or inaugurated eschatology. See, the New Testament teaches that the kingdom has already come in Jesus. The kingdom is here. The kingdom came in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension when he poured out his spirit on his people. We have access to the kingdom. The kingdom has already come because the king has come from heaven to earth to rule and reign. So the kingdom is already here. Jesus said the kingdom has drawn near. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. And so wherever people are submitting themselves to the rule of King Jesus, the kingdom has drawn near. In one sense, the kingdom is already here. But also, Jesus' very instructions to us in the Lord's Prayer to ask for the kingdom to come is an indication that the kingdom is not yet already here in its fullness. It has not yet been consummated. See, the kingdom is already and not yet. It has come in Jesus, but it will not come in its completion until Christ returns. And so we live between this tension of already experiencing the kingdom and yet longing for the kingdom. Jesus describes the tension himself in this way. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed. It's like a little bit of yeast. It begins seemingly insignificant, but over time it grows and grows and becomes something unexpectedly large, something that it wasn't anticipated to become. And so some of us pray 
without any faith in the alreadiness of the kingdom. We pray and we don't actually believe that God could change something in our lives because we prayed. And it's no more than wishing on a star or wishful thinking. We pray without the faith in the alreadiness of the kingdom of God. But then other people pray with expectations of miraculous things every time in every way. And we're discouraged when it doesn't happen as we expect it to happen. Or we're discouraged when it doesn't happen as it happened for that person, that other person that we saw, you know, their lives transform and and we get discouraged. And it's like me, every time I try to start like eating healthy or working out again, I'm like good for one day. And then I weigh myself the next morning and I'm like furious that I'm not already like beach ready. You know, like I, I, I counted calories. Why am I not gaining ground? Why am I not the way I want to be? We get discouraged that things don't happen immediately for us. So we need to know that the kingdom coming into our lives is often like the planting of a seed. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we do so with confidence that it is his desire to bring the kingdom, to establish and advance his kingdom in our lives according to his will. And we pray for a willingness to receive his kingdom, the way he desires to bring it in whatever form. And sometimes God answers miraculously. And oftentimes we need to give it time, but the seed will grow and the kingdom will arrive in all of its fullness. But there will be resistance to the growth. As the kingdom advances, as we experience God's desire. And as we learn to live in light of his rule and his reign, there is going to be resistance in the same way that sometimes we expect that the kingdom is going to come instantaneously, break through into our lives in this situation with immediate results. And oftentimes it's God planting a seed in the same way we expect that when the kingdom comes, our lives will be easy. But in reality, there's resistance. There is resistance to the kingdom of God. In Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus said, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and, the, and violent people are attacking it. As the kingdom advances, it suffers violence. It suffers resistance. See, today there is a temptation to believe that this world belongs to God and Satan is the one invading it. Oftentimes, that's the way I just naturally think about the world, that the world belongs to God, but Satan is invading it. And when that is our mentality, the response is that we need to hunker down, create our little bunkers, and, and, uh, and protect ourselves from the attacks of the enemy. And there certainly is reason to do that at times, but this is not the way that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. See, Jesus in the gospel of John calls Satan the ruler of this world. 
The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls Satan the God of this world. So listen very clearly. God is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the sovereign ruler over all things. But at creation, he made humanity and he gave them the authority to rule and reign as his ambassadors, as his vice regents. We had the authority to rule the world, to show the world what God was like. But we took that authority to rule the world and we placed it in Satan's lap when we chose to listen to the serpent instead of obey God. And so Satan rules this world with the authority that we have given him, which is why Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. And so it's not that this world belongs uh, to, to God, but Satan is invading it. This world belongs to the enemy and God is invading it. God is the one advancing. He began with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he gave their family a place, a land in Israel, a place in this world where they were supposed to be a light to the nations so that all of the other people would come into Israel and worship their God. And they were advancing. They were supposed to be an outpost of God's kingdom in the world. But ultimately, they squandered the kingdom by not obeying God's rule. And so God sent them out of his land. But then God came himself from heaven to earth. And what appeared to be so weak, so innocuous, this little baby born in a manger, in an animal's feeding trough, born into poverty, seemingly insignificant, worked a manual labor job before he started his ministry, was like a Trojan horse that came into the world and revealed the rule, the power, the authority, the goodness, the kingship of King Jesus in the world. Jesus invaded the kingdom of Satan to ransom people out of captivity. And Luke 4 quotes Jesus when he reads Isaiah 61 and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, I am here invading the kingdom of darkness and setting people at liberty, setting the captives free. I am, I am I'm on a rescue mission, capturing POWs and bringing them back into friendly territory. Jesus is the one invading Satan's kingdom. Listen, God is not playing defense. Okay, God is on offense. Satan is on defense. And so this changes the way we pray. It changes the way we pray. It changes the way we live. Wherever there's evidence of the kingdom of darkness, 
The people of God are to proclaim and pray for the kingdom of God to come into that situation, to bring light where there was darkness, to bring life where there was death, to bring freedom where there was corruption and imprisonment and bondage. The people of God are to go into those places as ambassadors of the kingdom to set people free. See, we often expect when we pray God's kingdom to come that every time it's going to come like straight from heaven to earth. We expect the kingdom to come from heaven, but God has ordained that oftentimes the kingdom comes through humans. That those who, who, who uh, submit to the rule and reign of Jesus, we go as ambassadors of Jesus into these places to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to demonstrate the goodness of the kingdom. And so we have all confidence to go, as they said in World War I, over the top, to get out of our trenches, to go over the top and to storm the enemy, to go storm the kingdom of darkness with light and with the good news of the kingdom of the beloved son, with all confidence that Jesus is going to be victorious. Jesus is going to win. And this is why Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are not an offensive weapon. Gates are defense. That's all the enemy has is gates. And Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The church that he is building will not fail when storming the gates of hell. Doesn't that give you confidence to just like run into the areas of darkness in this world and bring the truth of the gospel? Yes, there's going to be resistance, but guess what? It can't win. It can't win. We know how the story ends. The kingdom of God will prevail. We need to remember the words of our Lord, the words of Scripture, 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God in you is greater than the God of this world, than the ruler of this world, God's enemy. You can have every confidence to get out of your bunker, to get out of your trenches, go over the top and storm the kingdom of darkness on behalf of the one who rules and reigns from a throne in heaven. There will be resistance as the kingdom of God invades the world through God's people by the power of his Holy Spirit there will be resistance. But it's not only Satan's resistance that impacts our experience of God's kingdom when it comes. One of the primary reasons we don't experience the goodness of God's kingdom when it comes, when we don't experience the kingdom as good news is because our own kingdoms that we are trying to build are in conflict with the kingdom that God is trying to bring into our lives. We 
resist the kingdom of God. Okay, now some of you are thinking, how dare you? But think of it this way. If the kingdom of God were to come into your life in all of its fullness right now, how would your life be different? Or uh, if, if you were to, if, if heaven were to come to earth, you know, right now, how is your existence going to be different in heaven, in the kingdom of God, than it is right now? We all know the things that we like to talk about, right? There's going to be no anxiety, right? Praise God. There's going to be no addiction. There's going to be no depression. There's going to be no fear, no violence, no sorrow, no tears. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's going to be no death, no fear of death. We know all of these things. These are the things that we love to talk about when we anticipate the kingdom of God, when we anticipate our, our, uh, uh, our union with Christ in the heavenly places. These are the things that we anticipate. But what about sin? Will sin be there? No. There will be no sin in the kingdom of God, but righteousness and justice and love and all of these things will reign because Jesus is on the throne. What about the little secret sins, right? That nobody knows about. And so like no one's, no one's hurt by them. And so we kind of justify it in our lives. And it's like, well, you know, I'm just doing this. It's not like I'm doing that. Like, it's just porn. It's not like I'm having a full-blown affair or like, it's just like, it's, I'm just, I'm just taking the edge off, getting a little drunk, smoking a little pot. It's not like I'm addicted to fentanyl or heroin or something like that. Like, I'm not like those people over there. It's just a little thing, just a little, just a little thing. Is it going to be in the kingdom? No. So why do we protect it now? Because we like it. We like our little sins. We like our little selfish pleasures. We like the power that, that, that uh, uh, it, it gives. We like the, the, the escape that it brings. We like these things. And oftentimes, one of the biggest problems that people have with this idea of Jesus as Lord and, and Savior and, and giving their lives to Jesus is not because they can't intellectually wrap their minds around it. Or even not because that they can't, you know, uh, uh, have faith in the fact that God can do things that are outside of the normal experience, that God could raise a man from the dead. It's, it's not that we can't intellectually or even like faith-wise wrap our minds around this thing being a possibility. There are many people that know the truth about King Jesus and yet do not live under his rule and reign because they don't want to give up the throne. They don't want to give up this thing. I know that if I have to come to Jesus, if I come to Jesus, he's going to make me get rid of this thing. And I don't want to. I don't want to get rid of that thing. I like that thing. And so we resist the kingdom when we hang on to the things by our own will that we desire instead of letting go of those things and receiving the things for us that God desires. See, when we pray 
God's kingdom come, those areas of our heart are not exempt from the invading kingdom of God into our lives. And it's so hard to pray, God, your kingdom come, because instantly we think about those things that we don't want to give up. And so you cannot pray, God, your kingdom come, without also praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, in my mind, in my heart, in our church, in my marriage, in our relationships. We can't pray your kingdom come unless we're willing to receive his will being done instead of our own. If it's not in the kingdom of God, then it shouldn't be in our lives now. We don't truly desire the kingdom of God to come if we're not willing to relinquish our own will. And so praying your kingdom come requires that we embrace his will and trust that his desires are good and better than our own. Otherwise, we remain on the thrones of our own kingdoms and we resist what God wants to do in our lives and in our world. And when we do that, remember, God's kingdom is invading enemy kingdoms. And so one of the reasons we don't experience the good news of God's kingdom when it comes into our lives is because it's an offense to our own kingdoms. And we harden our hearts to it and we resist it. We don't want to be changed by it feels like we're being raided and things that we truly love are being taken from us. And so look, it all boils down to this. The reason that there feels like a disconnect between God's kingdom and our experience of it is because what we often want is the blessings of the kingdom. And we want to experience the blessings of the kingdom apart from the king of the kingdom. We want joy. We want love. We want peace. We want all of the fruit of the spirit. We want righteousness. We want freedom. We want safety. We want all of these things, but we want them on our terms. And so what we really want is the blessings of the kingdom. And we don't really want the king of the kingdom. We can't have the kingdom without the king. We can't have the kingdom of God without God. We can't have uh, uh, the kingdom of God without Jesus. See, the reason that we experience blessings when we receive Jesus is not because we got the right answer on a test. Like all of these other people, they got the wrong answer. All of these other people who don't believe in Jesus, who think that the world came from something else or that a different God rules over that world or whatever it is, but we believed in Jesus. And so God says, good boy, good girl, have a gold star. Here's the blessings of the kingdom. No, that's not the way it works. The reason we experience the blessings of the kingdom is because we've received the king who 
rightfully possesses the blessings and the authority of the kingdom. And he brings those blessings and authority into our lives. As he roots out the other false uh, uh, desires that we have, and he takes root in our lives, we experience the blessings of the kingdom because we have the king. See, we get the kingdom and all of its blessings when we receive Jesus as king. And king means that what he desires, what he, his royal edict, his word, what he wants must be. And so when his word says something, we respond to it like light responded at the creation. We can't help but do it. Light had to be brought into existence just to obey the word of God. And so when we read something in God's word, if Jesus is, if we're operating in submission to Jesus' rule and reign, we read it and it might be uncomfortable, but have your way, Lord. We can't do anything but follow when our king asks us to follow. We can seek all the pleasures and comforts of the kingdom all we want and will always be empty if they don't come with the rule of King Jesus. And we can seek justice and righteousness and mercy in this world and it's going to leave us wanting if it's not brought by King Jesus. The reason Isaiah talks about the wolf and the lamb and the lion and the cow and the snake and the, and, and the child is not because like there's this utopia that everything is just perfect all the time, no, no matter what, in and of itself. The reason he can talk about that is because if the whole world is under the authority of King Jesus, then nothing happens outside of what he desires. And so there's safety. So the reason that life is good in the kingdom of God is because obedience to God is the way life works best. Loving God and loving one another is the way life works best. This is difficult for us because it feels like defeat. If the kingdom of God is truly coming into our lives and asking us to get out of our throne, it feels like we're being deposed from our kingdom. It feels like defeat. It really, it does. It's difficult. It feels like loss. It feels like fear. I don't know what God's going to ask me to do if I keep following him. It feels difficult. But even in this, Jesus as our king is our example. The greatest example of someone's willingness to relinquish their own will for the sake of the will of God in their life is Jesus in Gethsemane. As the king on his knees in prayer before the father says, God, I know what's coming. I know that the cross awaits me. I know that mocking and humiliation and beatings and crucifixion and death await me. If there is any way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Don't. Don't miss the desperation in Jesus at that point. He, 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 
Luke says that he was sweating drops of blood. He was in such anguish, knowing what was coming, and said, if there's any other way, let it be, but not my will. Your will be done. And guess what? It didn't get easier for him. Everything he expected to happen would happen. And the king of of all of creation was led out of that place in chains as a prisoner. And he wasn't led to a throne with a golden crown. He was led to a cross with a crown of thorns. And Satan exulted in that moment. Satan believed he was striking the death blow against God. The blood of Jesus should have been Satan's greatest victory, and it was his undoing. It was his defeat. It was the very thing that brought death to death and deposed Satan from his throne. As it washed over the sins of God's people, that everyone who believed were ransomed from Satan's kingdom and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. The death of Jesus on the cross for us with that plaque above his head that was put there in jest. The king of the Jews, as they mocked him for it, was the truest thing about him. And as our king died for us, And rose from the dead, proving he even had victory over death. And he pours out his spirit on his people that anyone who believes in the righteous rule and reign of Jesus is a member, a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. And given the power of the kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom, when the spirit of God is poured upon them, Because Jesus did not claim the rights to his own will, but gave up his will and and submitted to the will of the Father, he brought salvation to anyone who would believe. We can't have the kingdom without the king. We can't have the kingdom blessings without Jesus. And if we're following the king, we will see the kingdom breaking into our lives and into the world around us. And it may start out just that mustard seed, right? That little tiny seed that seems so insignificant, but as it's cultivated, as it's watered, as it's allowed to flourish, it will become something so much greater than you could ever ask for or imagine. The blessings of the kingdom are so much better than the worldly pleasures that we experience right now that we are so struggling to let go of. I was reminded this morning in in, in prayer as one of our brothers in Christ was praying of something that C.S. Lewis said, that we can't possibly imagine what it means to take a holiday, a vacation at the beach because we're so busy playing with our mud pies. We're so, so focused on just the, 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 the garbage that we can't even imagine what it is that God wants to do in our lives. And the way that we prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in our lives is repentance. It's acknowledging those things that don't belong in God's kingdom that we're cultivating and harboring in our lives. 
and confessing them and saying, God, this isn't of you and I don't want it to be of me. And repentance means turning from that thing. This is why when John the Baptist came proclaiming that the kingdom was drawing near, he told them to repent, to prepare their hearts for the kingdom. They repented. It was like getting all of the rocks, all of the garbage out of the soil so that there would be a place for that seed to land and to, and to sprout and to become the thing that God wants it to become in our lives. And so if we're having trouble experiencing the goodness, the beauty, the value, the, the gifts of the kingdom in our lives. It's, it's, it's probably because of some of those areas that are rivaling for our attention and warring for our hearts. And so we need to confess those things and turn from those things and trust that that seed of the kingdom is going to be planted and it will accomplish what God planted it there for. Ultimately, that seed of the kingdom is Jesus. Remember, seemingly insignificant, born in a manger, placed in an animal's food trough, grew up in poverty, and yet King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods, the alpha, the omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end seemed so insignificant. And right now, for some of you, receiving Jesus in faith doesn't possibly seem like it could change your life in the way that you are most desperate for. How can receiving Jesus change my marriage? How can receiving Jesus uh, deliver me from this addiction? How can receiving Jesus help me with my parenting? How can receiving Jesus make me uh, free from this anxiety, from this depression, from whatever it is? It seems so insignificant and you're going to turn away from it in, in, in favor of like self-help garbage. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the seed of the kingdom. He is the king of the kingdom that might seem insignificant right now, but it's the one thing you're neglecting to try. It's the one thing you're neglecting to try because you're afraid of what you will have to give up. Yes, you want what he can give, but you're trying to hang on to both. And I'm telling you, confess, repent, let it go, receive the kingdom. And you will see the kingdom transform from the inside out three ways, just super fast, how you can anticipate the kingdom working in your life. The first is through healing. The kingdom in your hearts transforms you from the inside out. We want our circumstances to change. God wants to change your hearts. You receive Jesus today, whether it's for the first time or into this area in your life where you've previously kept him out. He'll transform you from the inside out. The second way you can experience the transforming power of the kingdom is boldness in your, in your witness, in your testimony to become a herald of the kingdom, to announce the kingdom in word and in deed, showing, uh, preaching the good news of the kingdom and showing the goodness of the kingdom. But most of all, it produces the fruit of hope in a future kingdom. Revelation 21, one through four says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne 
saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. One day, Satan's rule will be conquered, expelled, eliminated once and for all. No more resistance to the will of God in our hearts or in the world. God will be victorious, reigning on the throne of heaven and earth. And though we anguish under the attacks of the enemy and under sinful oppression today, we know that King Jesus is coming again. And when he does, there will not be a thing in this world that doesn't bow the knee. Everything will bow the knee to Jesus. And so the prayer for God's kingdom to come is essentially the same prayer that the apostle John teaches us to pray at the end of Revelation 22, verse 20. Come, Lord Jesus. God, your kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. And so let's pray for that together right now. Come, Lord Jesus. God, ultimately what we need right now is to experience your kingdom, your rule, your power, your presence in our lives, in this place. And God, I know that that's a scary thing. Because to be honest, we don't know the specifics of what you'll ask us to do, where you'll ask us to go, what you'll ask us to give up, what you'll ask us to embrace. God, we don't know the details of the specifics, but we do know what you are willing to give so that we could be a part of your kingdom, Lord. Thank you that you have not allowed our sin to keep us from the kingdom, but forgave our sin and welcomed us in as your beloved children. And so God, I pray for our time right now that by your spirit, you would move in our hearts and you would bring the freedom of the kingdom and the joy of the kingdom God, the safety of the kingdom, the righteousness of the kingdom, the purity of the kingdom, the faithfulness of your kingdom. Pray that we would experience the king of the kingdom. And that, Lord, we would let ourselves be yours. Not our will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pour out your spirit on this place, God. And may we experience the goodness and the righteousness of the rule and reign of King Jesus. It's in that name we pray together. Amen.